God, you are good. And thank you for letting us join in that song, the song that has been from all eternity, the song that you are holy and set apart. And we got to join in it today. God, we pray that you would, as we look at your word through your spirit, you just peel back the heavens and let us see who you are. We pray that you would take the hardness and the distractions that, that dwell in us and live in our hearts, God, and you take those away and you'd give some hearts of flesh today. And God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we want to see you in your word, so speak, Lord. We are ready to listen. We are ready to hear from you. And we pray this in the name above all names, the name that at every, the name when it is confessed, all people will bow. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you got a Bible, I'm going to take it and turn to Second Thessal or First Thessalonians. It's in the back. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. If you don't have one, you are in luck because we have it on the screen today. And I hope you're doing well. Everybody surviving? Yeah, you doing okay? It's a nice day out there. We're going to begin, and I'm going to just read this passage to you. So hear the word of the Lord from First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. It says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I've lived in a lot of different places, and I've noticed, uh, got to, that has, has its uh, pros and its cons. One of the pros is you get to see uh, all the different cultures and what they're into. I never knew church, I never knew how big horse racing was until we moved to Louisville. They have this thing called the Derby. You've ever heard of that Kentucky Derby there? Those people are nuts, okay, with about that. They cancel school like the day of the Derby. Like the weekend before, like it, there's a, there's, they cancel school like on the Fridays so people can get ready and buy their gigantic hats. You go into a department store in Louisville, Kentucky, and you go up there and you can actually go buy the derby hats around that, that time of year and you put one of those on and it's five or $600. I've never done that, of course. But, um, you know, just hypothetically, you could go spend $700, $1,000 on a hat. Now, some of that is pretty neat, okay? I enjoyed getting off of school on that Friday, okay? And I actually started watching the Kentucky Derby because we live there. But some of those things are weird because on the talk radio stations, the news talk radio or the, um, the sports talk radio, they would talk about football, basketball, and then horse racing. Oh, how do you talk about that for that long? On the, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll have another is over here with next to the secretariat. And you're like, oh. So some of the things are amazing, and some of them are like, wow. I've just, if some of you are into horse racing, you hate me right now, okay? Like, I don't like that guy. But the cultural differences are all around us, and that's not even that far. That's a couple hours up the road from here. 
and it's a whole different culture, or at least in some ways it is. One of the cultural differences I've noticed here, and it shocked me at first, was when there's a funeral. Let me just tell you how we did it in Florida. When we had a funeral, or in South Alabama, we had a funeral, as soon as it, the graveside was over, everybody left. And then the grave diggers finished, and they put the dirt on the body, and they put the sod, and you never saw any of that. So the first time I've, I did a funeral here, they start putting dirt. And I'm like, I almost was like, hey, hey, no, 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 no. You don't do this till we leave. This is not right. And then they just keep filling it. And they keep filling it. And then they put the dirt, then they pack it. And they're banging around. And, and I, I tell you what, it shocked me. And at first, like a lot of things that are different culturally to us, I was like, this is not cool. However, Lord began to work on my heart about this, and I began to see that what I, find, what I initially found odd and strange is still heartbreaking, but there's something good to it. Because I want you to know something. Uh, we often try to sanitize or minimize death. We really do. Now we have funeral homes that take care of that, thank God, that they do, so we don't have to do the embalming process and that kind of stuff. They take care of that when somebody dies. The, 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 the visitations have, over the years have gotten shorter and shorter. The time you spend in the funeral home has gotten shorter and shorter, and people try to get in, get out. And, and this actually, when we got to that place where you're putting the dirt on the casket, it makes you stop and think biblically for a second, because Psalm 90, verse 12, which is a psalm of Moses, he writes this, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's saying, think about the fact that you are finite, and one day you will not be on this earth. The Bible talks about it several ways. In the book of Psalms, it talks about life as a vapor, like we're like dew on the grass. Here today, gone today. We're like grass. We grow for a season, someone cuts us down, we perish. We don't like to think about that. Go to any funeral anywhere. Everyone is uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's not, it's sad. And I want you to get this. That simple that, that cultural thing of putting dirt on the casket at this terrible time, it's a simple, painful, profound, excruciating disorienting act of placing dirt over the someone, it emphasizes the agony of losing one we love. Death is awful. It's painful. And so that takes that extra step where this culture up here where you put dirt on the casket, it makes you stop and it makes you watch and it makes you understand the pain and the loss and it, is, it is, is a good thing in the sense that it causes us, to, those of us who know Christ, to think on the, the horror of death and to think about the greatness of the hope that is in Christ. And I want you to know, friends, remember this, the burning lights of heaven shine brightest on the darkest nights, am I right? The diamond is put against a black backdrop so that it might be shown as glorious. And death 
as ugly and nasty and disorienting and painful and excruciating and as bad as it is, points us to a need for hope and then it points the believer to the hope that we have. And that hope is not in platitudes or positive thinking. It's in Jesus. He is risen and he is coming. And because he is risen and he is coming, we can have hope. Look with me in verse 13. I want to walk through this passage because here's what's going on. This Paul's writing a letter to Christians he hasn't known for very long. He came, he preached the gospel there. This is in Acts chapter 17. He came, he preached the gospel. People got mad. They tried to kill him. They arrested a bunch of people. They ended up having to pay money to get out of jail. And you know what they did for Paul? They snuck him out of town. So God came, people believed. Um, uh, Paul came, he preached the gospel. People believed. People got mad. He ran out of town. And so he didn't have a chance at this point to give them all of the discipleship and the teaching that was necessary. So he's writing this letter to this church, and he starts off in verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. The word could also be translated ignorant. Ignorant's not such a bad thing. It's just not knowing. And so that's probably a good translation. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. So he's trying to give, you, he's trying to give these, these brothers information about those who are asleep. Now, this is not talking about, I just want to make sure you're clear we get this, because some of you, maybe the first time I read this past, it's like, why is he talking about somebody who's asleep? There's, nothing, there's no real instructions you need except for be quiet, they're sleeping. You ever done that, like a new parent's house? You go, then you like knock on the door, and you're like, oh, no, and then you're just praying that you didn't wake that baby, because that's like, then you need to leave immediately, because you've, you've, you've in, encountered rage was coming, because you woke that baby up. No, this is talking about sleep in the sense of it's a metaphor for death. And, and it's a metaphor for death in the sense that when you see a body lying there, in fact, all of us do this a, a great deal of our lives. Some of us eight hours, some of us five hours, some of you maybe got three, two hours. And I, every day, we lay there like a dead person. You get that? Isn't that weird? We spend a third half of our life laying on a bed or a couch or wherever, air mattress or wherever you like to, hammock, I don't know, wherever you like to sleep, like a dead person. And that's the metaphor here. And it's important for the Christian metaphor because we know that that is not the eternal resting place of our bodies. There will be a resurrection. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have died. Now, this is important because it says this, that you may not grieve as as others do who have no hope. See, what's happening, and this is very easy to see, when death comes, grief comes. Now, the Bible does not saying there to not grieve, right? Just keep a stiff upper lip. and No, it's saying do not grieve as those who have no hope. And so we see with, with death comes pain. With death comes grief. With death, so much can happen that discourages us and brings us down. You don't have to look very far to see that. And so Paul is writing them so that they wouldn't be uninformed, so they would know about their hope, so they would not grieve as people who have no hope. And so here is the difference between a believer and a non-believer is we have hope, and those who, do not, who are not in Christ, they don't have hope. 
But you're saying, Matt, I've been to funerals, and everybody says the, there's a better place. Even if they don't believe in Christ, they're always saying that there's a better place. They're always saying, we'll see them again. What do you mean? There was, these, there was theories about and, and doctrines about life after death, even to the people that, that Paul was writing about. Greek mythology, Roman mythology, about what would happen after death. But just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to inform them with the words of Christ and, and inform them through the resurrection of Jesus and place their hope on solid ground so that they would not grieve like those who have no hope. When you have no hope, there's nothing to comfort. There is nothing that can really brighten your eyes. There is nothing that can spur you on. When it's hopeless, it's dark and nothing, and it's depression. But there is hope. And I, get, I got to thinking about this story. I was real young, I was 18, I just graduated high school, and I got hired as an intern in Central Florida um, at the church Amy and I would eventually meet at. And um, they, did, they were doing vacation Bible school, which we're going to be doing soon, which I'm super pumped about, and you should be too. So we had vacation Bible school, and this was a big, long church, and they had this big baptistry up in the wall. And they had built, an, it was the, the theme was Amazon Outfitters, okay? And any of you who have been in church any amount of time, you probably even know that song. I can still sing it, Amazon Outfitters. Okay, it's bad. This is in my head. Okay, and so there was this river that came out of the baptistry that we had made out of like paper, and, it, and it, it came out, it started small, and then it got huge and went down the aisle in the church. It was awesome. And then we had these inflatable monkeys hanging off of every chandelier in that place, everywhere. And the place was decorated to the nines. I mean, it looked amazing. One, I was a youth intern, and one of our students' grandparents passed away. They wanted to have the funeral at the church. The church's policy was that whatever's there, you had to deal with if you wanted to have your event. So they wheeled this casket at the base of the river. I'm not, if I'm lying, I'm flying, and I'm on the ground, okay? This thing was in front of this mouth of this river. There's these monkeys hanging over the casket. There's VBS decorations everywhere, and it, you're at that point like, this is not super dignified. But to hear this, this, this man who passed his kids and his grandkids talk about it, they said this is how he would want to go out. I said, really? <laughs> at the base of the Amazon with inflatable monkeys? I said, yeah. He loved Jesus and he loved kids. And, and they said this, these words, and these words pass understanding. We know that he, where he is, he lived his life for Jesus. He is with Jesus, and it's only appropriate that he is here at the base of the Amazon with these, these, these inflatable monkeys that are here to help kids learn about Jesus. And so in that weird, just disorienting, strange thing, the hope of Jesus was shining through. 
Now, a lot of times we base our hope and people base their hope on simple platitudes, on simple sayings, on what they've heard from other people. But I want you to know something. The hope, if it's real hope, has to be based on reality. If not, it's just positive thinking. And you know what the power of positive thinking can get you? Nowhere. Contrary to Miss Oprah and her minions, I really want a sandwich. I'm going to think positively about a sandwich. Can't make a sandwich appear. You have to have something to base your hope on, or it's foolishness. And the Bible does not, is not foolishness. It's truth. And so we go on. It says, brothers, I don't want you to, to grieve. I don't want you to be unaware so that you won't grieve like those who have no hope because you have a hope. And here's what the hope is rooted on in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. You follow me? You have hope. Why? For since Jesus died and rose again, the hope of eternal life, the hope of resurrection, the hope of life after death is rooted in the fact that Jesus was dead and now he is risen. And then he goes on and he says this, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him, bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is a difficult passage. This verse right here is difficult to translate. But basic idea is this. Our hope is based on the resurrected Jesus. If God raised him from the dead, and we are in Jesus, and that's what the idea of believing in Christ and trusting in his resurrection, that now we are in Christ. Those who have trusted him are in him. We are a part of him. We are his sons and daughters. We, we are underneath his umbrella of righteousness, okay? If God did that for Jesus and we're in Jesus, won't he be consistent with his character and raise us? Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness and his resurrection. He is risen, therefore we will rise. Does that make sense? So our hope is not built on, you've heard it, I will know he's in a better place. What are you basing that off of? And don't say this at a funeral, that's how you become a jerk, okay? Don't, don't say that. <laughs> that's how you show you're a jerk, I don't know, either way. But it may be a conversation you have a couple weeks, what are you basing that on? Why do you think everything's going to work out? What is leading you to think that there is a better place? What is, what is leading you to think that, that you and God are simpatico and everything's cool? What is leading you to believe that? And it's ultimately the resurrection of Christ, which is our basis for hope. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is our hope. And then he says this. He goes on. He says, where's our hope rooted? We don't have to grieve. and We're, we're not hopeless. The hope's rooted in the resurrection. And then it says in verse 15, it says, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord. The second thing we see we have not only is, is our promise, the hope that we have, it's not just some platitude or some saying. It's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, and it's rooted in the word of the Lord, which is the word of Jesus. And then Paul under, helps us understand what this word is, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So our hope is dependent on, on three things. We talked about it. Our hope, if we were to have hope and not mourn like other people, and there's hope in death, it, re it resides on three things. Remember, Jesus' resurrection, 
the word of the Lord, he mentioned that here, and the word of the Lord that tells us what? That Jesus is coming. And not only that, it tells us something else. Look back in with me in verse 15. We declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, Paul at this point is writing in anticipation that Jesus is coming in his lifetime. Every believer has believed that across the centuries. You know why? Because he can. There's some things that have to happen sequencing-wise, but it's possible um, that they, many of those have happened. It's possible that we've already seen Antichrist. It's possible for some other things. It's possible that he could come at any time. And Paul believed that. And you, I've heard people say it regularly, even here at this church and other churches, Jesus is coming soon. It can't get much worse. Maybe. <laughs> if you tell me what time it is, it's not then because no man knows the time of the season. Remember he told you that. And then this next passage in, in chapter 5 will tell you again, nobody knows. We do know he's coming. And he wants you to know that those who die will not have a disadvantage when Jesus comes. Okay? So if you would, when, and then it says in verse 15, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Because you're alive when Jesus comes does not necessarily give you preferential treatment. Because here's what's going to happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so here's the picture. Our hope is built on his resurrection, on his word, and it's coming. When he comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. And he was, also has this idea of he's bringing us with him. See, note this, to be, uh, to be absent, Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body. Do you know what it means to be absent from the body? <sighs> to be dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, because we are more than just mammals. The world would like us to believe that we are just, we are just mammals, we're the same as other mammals. No. We have souls. We have a spiritual aspect to us. And when we are separated from our body, we will be with the Lord immediately. This, this idea of sleep here does not give us the idea of soul sleep, that when we die, we're just kind of snoozing until Jesus comes back. No. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see other situations that Jesus, the man on the cross, right? The man who died next to him, the thief on the cross, he says, today you will be in, with me in paradise. He did not say, today you are going to start your soul sleep, and you're going to sleep until I come back, and then you'll join me. No. This is a great promise that when you and your eyes close in death, they open in eternity and you see Jesus. It's not, it's not some fanciful hope. It's what is in the word. It's rooted in his resurrection and his promises. And so we see that, that this idea is that those who have died are not at a disadvantage. Because when Jesus comes, the body and the soul will come and they will be put back together. I don't know how that's going to happen. Anyone who tells you they do is lying to you. I remember a story that my seminary professor told, or what my seminary president told about his son. And he was at this, Amy was telling me this story because she went to an education conference and Dr. Moeller, uh, the president of the seminary I went to, was at this conference. 
And as the story goes, as it was relayed to me, he had a teenage son, and he went and looked on his browser history to see what he had been looking up, just to kind of keep him accountable. And he had looked up two things. <laughs> the first one was helicopter interiors. That's weird, okay, for a teenage boy to look up. The second was sharks and shark attacks. And he went to his son, he's like, hey, what's going on with the looking at the helicopter interiors and the sharks? And he was like, Dad, I've been wanting to ask you a question. And Dr. Mueller is one of the leading theologians in the whole world. And, and he said, Dr. Mueller, um, or he didn't say Dr. Mueller because he said Dad, because that would have been dumb if he said, I don't know, I would have said Dr. Mueller. I hope he never hears this message. Um, he, he, he comes to, he says, Dad, I was thinking, if I'm in a helicopter and I was to crash at sea and a shark was to eat me, how will I be resurrected on the last day? <laughs> and he's like, wow, <laughs> you will. I don't know, but you will. Because if he spoke and there was, he can make the particles come back together, okay? And so this idea of don't want you to know, these people are upset because these, these Christians are dying, and they don't know about their hope. They don't know if they're at a disadvantage. They don't know if they're not going to see the resurrection right away, and there's possible there's false teachers there. And it's, it, makes so important, it, it makes so important what you believe and where you believe it and how you get what you, what you believe, because these people were, were genuinely having a problem. And Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like this. I want to know where your hope is. It resides in the resurrection. It resides in the word of God. It resides in Jesus' coming. And those who are in, when, when Jesus comes, those who are dead will rise. Their bodies will rise, be joined with their soul, and they will be with Jesus. And those who are in Christ will be snatched up and be with him as well. And so I want you to hear this. Our hope is in Jesus. He is risen and he is returning. Therefore, we can have a funeral at the mouth of the Amazon River for somebody who's in Jesus and smile, even in the sorrow. That means we don't have to give up, that we, don't, we know that God is in control. We know that we have hope. It's not rooted in ourselves or in platitudes or wishes and hopes and mights and dreams. It's rooted in the very character and nature of God. And so we don't have to, we can grieve, yes, and we will grieve. It's sad. Death is awful. But we don't have to grieve as people who have no hope. Because we, even if we die, we're not at a disadvantage. When he comes, we will be with him. I want to take this moment to get you, we've been, remember we're going through this creation, we've been going through the story of the Bible, which creation, God created, fall, man, sin, sin and death entered into the world. We're, at, we're, at, we're enemies with God, but however, what happened? We have creation, fall, redemption, coming through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have life. And now we're at the fourth point in this, and you thought we'd never get there, but we're at the end of this story, and we're at restoration, and he's making all things new, and he's bringing an end to death, and he is coming as king. And so I want you to know this. I want you to see a few things about him coming, okay, real quick. I want you to notice a few things. And you start in verse, um, verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command. Now, do you remember... We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, uttermost parts of the earth. And then what happens? Jesus starts ascending into heaven. And you know what his disciples do? They're rubbernecking. Like you would too if someone started levitating. 
right? <laughs> no, nah, I'm cool. Levitation doesn't bother me. Okay, so Jesus is being taken up. And they're looking, and if it had rained, they would have drowned. And they had some, some people show up, and probably angels, and they said, why are you looking into heaven? Get busy is the undertone of that. He's going to come again in the same way he left. He went into the clouds. He's going to come on the clouds. Think about it. Anytime something happens in the sky, it's very noticeable, Right? It's first off, Jesus is keeping his word. Secondly, he is, this is meant to be, I, I'm not going to tell you. See, some of you are just itching like, okay, so when is the millennium going to happen? Oh, when is the rapture? Oh, my goodness. Oh, is there going to be, the, are we going to be in the tribulation period? Oh, my gosh. Oh. If you don't understand the facts, you don't need to know the sequencing. So get the facts first. Plus, everybody pump the brakes for a little bit because we get mad and argue and talk about stuff that doesn't make any sense and get upset with each other about different things or get worried about, oh, I don't know. This whole passage is to comfort people. So take all those things. We'll talk about them later. They're not unimportant. But for right now, just go ahead and just suspend that for a second so you can see our hope before you're going, oh, I don't know. What is that? Is it a pre-trib rapture, man? Is it post-trib? What are you doing, Matt? Go ahead, take your inner theological nerd, give him a volume, and we'll be all right. Because I want you to see this. When he will come, it will not be a silent thing. He will come, like he said, in the clouds. It will be evident. Secondly, he will come with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Those all sound loud, right? Like, here's a youth conference, and then here's this, okay? Have you ever been in a bus with a bunch of teenagers, which I spent half my life doing, okay, being a youth pastor? It's like numbing the, the amount of sound. So this cry of a command, the sound of an, I don't know what the sound of an archangel is, and no one does. But it's got to be loud. And then, and you know why? Because it's compared to this, the sound of a trumpet. Well, not even just a trumpet. Look at this. And the sound of the trumpet of God. That's a big trumpet. And I think about trumpets are made to be noticed. You, know, you never went, oh, that's just a nice, that's a soothing trumpet sound. Have you ever been in a room with a trumpet? It's created to be loud. At the end of it, it's got this thing that comes out that, like, the, 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 the cone of noise comes out, right? So we were, at, we were at Southern Seminary's chapel service one day, and we were singing It Is, it is Well with My Soul. You may have heard something, It Is Well, Okay. It's got this part at the end, and all the seminary dudes, we are banging this one out. It is. I mean, we're just getting into it, okay? We're singing it as well. Well, they had stationed trumpeters in the balcony and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and we got to this part. The trump shall resound. I mean, we were all like, he's coming. He's coming. Take me. He's coming. He's coming. Scared us to death, too, because you got horns being blown behind you. This will, this will help inform your, your theological underpants. For those of you who need a little scratch about when it's going to happen, I want you to know something. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be a secret. It is going to be loud. 
and it's announcing a king. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. <laughs> it's going to be evident. The loud voice of a command, the cry of an archangel, and the sound of a trumpet. The Lord will come like he said on the clouds, and those who are dead in Christ will rise, and their souls and bodies will be rejoined, and then we will join him, meet him in the air. And I want you to know this something. So first off, Jesus is risen and returning, so we have hope. Not only that, Jesus is risen and returning, and we will be with him forever. Look in verse 17, if you will. Then we who are alive, remember, those who have passed away will rise and be with him first. Then we who are alive, Paul's assuming his life, uh, he will be, and he's assuming this in the sense that he's still living, so he's thinking it as a possibility, not that he was wrong and, th- and thinking that he would be, or thinking the, you know, the resurrection would happen in his lifetime. He was just saying if it happens, that's why he's using the we. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This idea of caught up is the word which we get rapture from, if you've heard that in common um, Christian vernacular. It basically means to snatch up. And I can almost see it as a uh, kid's in the road, and it's a dangerous place, and maybe they're dodging traffic, doing a good job, and the parent sees it, and they snatch the person up. And so there's this snatching up that happens to meet him in the air. That's the other term that we need to know. This term meet is actually a technical term. And it has the idea of, it's used in two different situations. It's used in the sense when the Roman armies would conquer a people and they would return home in victory, they would not go into the city immediately. They would camp outside the city until the preparations could be made for the party, the parade, and then they would send a delegation of people out to bring them in. This is also used of someone who would visit, this word meet, this is a technical term, would be used of someone, a, a dignitary visiting or a friend who you haven't seen in a while and you're wanting to make a big deal, and so how would you go and greet them? See, our way of greeting and welcoming somebody in the house is usually open the door. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Have a seat on the couch. Well, theirs was much more formal and a bigger deal, and it had this idea of respect. And so when somebody would be coming, they would go out and meet that person of great importance and then walk them into the city. That's this word meet here. So get this. When he returns, it will not be silent. It will be a big deal. Our hope is in his returning because our dead bodies, if we are dead, will be raised. And then after that, if we're alive, we will go up and meet him in the clouds. And the idea is that we will bring him back down in procession. He will lead and we will come and we will enter into this time of peace. And you know where we get another idea from that is this. In verse 16, it says, verse 17, it says, then we are who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. This is those who have been purchased by Jesus being snatched up, no matter the limitations of death or gravity, being caught up to be with him in the air and to come down and to be with him forever forever and to rule and reign with him. 
we live in a world of separation. I mean, as much as we love this body of believers in this church, we we miss some of our family who's at home, who's who's at where we're home, where we're from originally. Amy's got folks that are down in Central Florida. Thankfully, mom and dad came up and joined us, so that was cool that they came up to live up here. But we also have family down in South Alabama, and we have fam- I have family in Pensacola. So, as much as we love being here, there is a part of us that feels separated from other people that we love. And not only that, we know that the people we love, we're just getting on loan. Because they will, all of us, unless Christ returns, we will all face death. We live in a world of separation. We also live in this world of separation with the one we love the most is the Lord, and we fail Him every day, and we want to see Him, and we want Him to come with us, and we, want, we, want, we know His presence in part through His, through his church, through worship, through His Word, through His Spirit dwelling in us, but there's a ceiling, and, and there's always a separation, and, and there's a day coming that, that we will no longer be separated, but we will be with Him forever. The King will come. The death will be done. It will be slain. Life is here, and those who are with Christ, in Christ, will be with him forever. And this life will be but a footnote in the grand scheme of eternity. And the pain and the suffering that we know now will be as nothing compared to the hope and the presence of God. He's coming. We have hope. This is not the end. We don't just live for here. There is an eternity. He is coming. Now, finally, I want you to know this, verse 18. I mentioned this previously. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I mentioned when I was kind of joking about how all of us want to, we try to want to put the, the end times and understand all the little intricacies of those things. We, we get so, so worked up about that. A lot of times when we think about the end times, we think about Christ's return, and we think about the last things, there's anxiety that raises up in us because we think about, what's it going to be like? Am I going to bear the mark of the beast? What is this going to be like? Jesus, or Paul right here, is saying that these words about Christ's return are to encourage us. So if you are engaging in theological discourse or thinking that does not bring encouragement, you need to check yourself. Why? The resurrection of G- or the, the resurrection and coming of Jesus and the fact that we who are in Christ will be resurrected with him and will be with him forever is supposed to be encouraging. And note this. It says, therefore, encourage, and it's actually the imperative, the command of the text. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage who? The pastor encourages you? No. Encourage who? One another with these words. Encourage one another. This word, encourage, is a, is, a, is a compound word, which means to call alongside. Parakaleo, which means come al- to call out and to come alongside. The good news about Christ's return is supposed to, and the, what we're supposed to preach it to each other and encourage one another in, is, is really like coming alongside to help those of us who are struggling. In the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, there was a guy by the name of Derek Redman. 
He was a British national, and he was favored to win the 400-meter race. And they thought he was going to win the gold. Gun sounds. He takes off about 150 meters into the race. He has searing pain in his hamstring. And it is evident. It is blown. If you want to see this video, you can go on YouTube and check it out. Just look his name up. And he hobbles, and all of his hopes and dreams are crushed because the Olympics only comes around every four years, and quite likely he's not going to get to do that again. And he just tore, severed. I mean, his hamstring is gone. He's wobbling. He won't give up. He's falling to the ground. He keeps getting back up, and he keeps wobbling. The next thing you know, a gentleman in the stands runs down, and he jukes the security guard. You need to see it because this guy, he's a bigger guy, but he just totally jukes the security guard, like stiff arms him, and get to, the, get to Derek. And he grabs Derek, and they talk for a second, and he, Derek wraps his arm around this man, as you see in this picture, and they run towards the finish line together. Turns out it's his dad. You can see this. This is you can watch, this is the beauty of YouTube, okay? Not only for wasting time, okay? It's got this amazing story. You can watch this video. And so what happens? He comes alongside and says, son, do you want to finish? He said, yeah, I do, but I can't. He said, I'm going to go with you. And this is the, it's the longest 400 meters ever in Olympic history, I think. But they are just going. And right at the end, his dad lets him go and he crosses the line. Look at the agony on that guy's face. Look at the pain. Death will make us hurt more. It's a reality until Christ comes. But the truth of Jesus' resurrection, of his word, his promises, his scripture, his coming... That, no, that nothing can separate us from Christ, that even though we are dead, we are with him, and then he will resurrect our bodies, and we will be with him, and we will reign with him, and we will never be separated from him, and, and all of the pain and the death is gone, and we will know God, and we will see God, and we will, we will be with him. Paul says to encourage what? Call alongside, just like that picture. Some of us are beaten. Some of us are broken. Some of us are in last place. Some of us are at this place where death and its consequences have beaten us down. Life has become a burden. It's hard to bear. How do you cope? Especially when the drugs that the, the doctors give you are not working. When you've tried everything and nothing seems to be, I want you to know something then maybe you should try encouraging one another, coming alongside one another, teaching each other, proclaiming these truths to one another, because that is how we can make it across the finish line. The truth of God applied to the hurting saints of God by other saints of God is a great weapon. It's a great tool. It's a great comfort. And we must encourage one another with these truths. It's bad. Death is reality. Boko Haram, a couple of years ago, stole a bunch of girls, most of whom are dead. The ones who are not are suffering in the sex trade. 
Look on the news. Shootings, death, cancer. It's a mess. It's indirectly the cause. All this has come indirectly because of sin. Not necessarily that person, sin, and therefore they got this. No, that's what I'm saying. But sin in general, sin and death have reigned in the world. But he's coming. But, but ISIS, this crazy presidential election, the economy, he's coming. But I got a bad report of the doctor. My kid is having this problem. He's coming. I can't make it any farther. You can't on your own. We need one another. We need the truth of scriptures. I can't make He's coming. He is coming. And we will be with him. And our hope is not based on platitudes and wishes and might be. It's based on the promises of God, the risen Christ who is in heaven right now, and his power. He is coming. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us, and we thank you for truth. We thank you for your word. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who are hurting and are struggling. And I pray that this word and your word would encourage them to know that you're coming and death is not the end and that we have a sure hope based on Christ. That those who are just limping along and trying to finish the race. I pray, God, that there will be some in here that would just come alongside and encourage them in Christ and encourage them with these words and come alongside the limping saint and help them across the line. God, I pray for those of us who are not there yet that we would take these truths to heart so that when it does come, we will be reminded of our encouragement and our hope in Christ. God, we thank you for that hope, and we pray, come, Lord Jesus, we are ready. But until then, until you tarry to live as Christ, to die as gain. So I pray comfort and peace and encouragement would be with us today in the great sorrow that does exist. And Lord Jesus, I also pray that the joy of your coming would just overfill us, that we know that this is a slight and momentary affliction and that it fails in comparison to being with you and your glory. And that we get to share in that, not because we are good, but because you are good and gracious and loving and merciful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.